What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Conspiranormal. Alright guys, welcome back to Conspiranormal. And Serfiel is here. Yes, sir. We got quite the uh, round table tonight. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be a fun one, guys. It's just kind of like uh, originally wanted to kind of focus this on the Leah Haley story, which uh, Aaron Gullius is joining us. But Aaron, so Aaron is here. Say hello, yes, Aaron. Hello. Hi. Got Jack Brewer. Hi, everybody. And uh, Greg Bishop, who might be making dinner later. <laughs> hello. <laughs> <laughs> I originally wanted to do this on the Leah Haley story. We're still going to get to that because, because uh, Aaron, you just recently did about a month or so ago a well, you do you kind of did two shows on I her because you two. did yeah yeah one on Cito's new friends and then one on her specifically and right. then Jack, you've actually interviewed her and I guess you've actually met her and you kind of are close to her geographically so you know some of those places that she's that uh that we talk about that we're going to talk about tonight. yeah that, that that's a reasonable description of it yeah okay but uh there's something that came up today as we're recording this on july 14th which is interestingly enough bastille day uh, <laughs> we'll just put that out there uh so greg What's going on with uh, the latest MUFON scandal? Yeah, um, just today, even though this happened on July 3rd, um, the Huntington Beach Police Department revealed that uh, the the president of MUFON, Jan Harzan, has been arrested, not convicted yet, but arrested for soliciting sex with a minor, specifically a detective, I guess, posing as a 13-year-old girl. So yeah. him and I guess one other guy were caught in that dragnet, 
and his mugshot has been plastered all over UFO Twitter and everything right now. Um, so yeah, that that just happened today. I don't even know what the reaction has been from uh, MUFON itself or the membership. What I'm hoping is that they'll all say, MUFON sucks, let's, let's disband it um, and do something else, which I've been saying for like probably 10 years now. I didn't know this was going to happen, but as mm. time goes on, you start to see more and more what the upper echelon of MUFON is like. This has nothing to do with no reflection on the rank and file, who most of them, as far as I can tell, are sincere, not and not racist and not child molesters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he basically um, got he basically got them. he I feel sorry for them happens. because it, it's a huge, huge betrayal of trust once again. And so I'm hoping that the, the members will just say, well, you know, maybe MUFON shouldn't exist anymore. The only problem is there's, you know, where do a lot of these people go? And my answer is form your own group. Mm. Form your own group. Form a small group. I did a lecture like 10 years ago where I said that it should break up and go into small groups that can move quickly and can communicate through the internet. All this can be done now. Um, and the, 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 the nature of the phenomenon, I believe, is anti-structural. So how can you have a structured organization be effective mm. at looking at it? I don't think so. Only to a limited degree. I mean, data gathering is great. It should be. There should be more data about it because patterns will emerge. But a large top-down, you know, pyramid-type organization... No, no good for that. And now we find out it's diseased at the top even worse than we thought. So maybe there'll be another nail in the coffin. And I say fine. Yeah. And kind of what you're referencing there is like, I guess, several few years ago, John Ventry, who is a major contributor and a major part of MUFON, made some racist comments. And uh, there's actually a Vice article that came out today about this whole Jan Harzan situation, and they said that the, like a cup like a month or so ago, somebody made some some pretty yep. bad comments about the Black Lives Matter movement, and uh, yep. which I'm another, not going to repeat. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just another scandal showing that this this is pervasive throughout a lot of levels of the organization, and like I said, not through the rank and file. I don't think so, but mm -hmm. um, people in the positions of leadership especially at the very top, seem to have these problems. Or they coddle these people, which is, like, mind-boggling to me. I, when this first happened with Ventry, there was a, you know, there was that statement from Harzan, well, who's the real hater here, and what, yes. we should really look at ourselves. And I was like, the first thing I said was not, you know, you, 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 you racist, coddling idiot. Well, I kind of did say that. I said, most organizations, when this happens, they immediately say, this person does not reflect our value, no matter what you think personally. Right. Does not reflect yeah, yeah. our values. It is that we have severed all ties with this person, and we don't, mm -hmm. and we uh, we have divested ourselves from any association. That's what every other sane organization does. Mufon didn't do that. They 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 basically said, oh well, you know, it's fine. One, because I think you know they they're they're probably buddies. Two, he gave over five thousand dollars a year. I think maybe up to ten thousand dollars a year to the organization. Um, and three, and I really don't want to say it because it's dog whistly. Maybe they're, maybe they agree with him. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That is a speculation, and I, you know, that that has, that is just me speculating. I don't know for sure. But there's just so much that they could have, that the Harzan especially could have done in the goof on board to just say we, we don't have anything to do with this person, and they didn't do it. They act, they kind of doubled down on it, which is insane. 
and a lot of people left over it. So, yeah, because who wants to belong to an organization where if you say you're active in it, especially if you're like a, a state director or a field investigator or something where, where you, you instantly have to say, oh, I, you know, I'm. I'm I'm with move on move on. I'm not a rapist or a pervert or a racist or or whatever. <laughs> no, no, nobody wants to have that that sort of caveat no. after you know what they say. And um, oh my God, T-shirt should be printed up right now. <laughs> proud member of Mufon, not a racist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's I, I, there is some other. Um, well, I, don't, I can't remember what I was what I was going to say, but there's there's you know all all these these things. It's like. You know, it's with the with the Harzan thing. There's there's going to be the, um, I mean, I I've already seen out there on Twitter the the, you know, well this is a setup. This is he's being framed. Um, somebody, uh, who I won't name because they're they're known. Um, said you know, is this going to stand up in court? Because I can't imagine a cop would actually do this. I was like, have you seen To Catch a Predator? I mean, there was a whole TV show yes. about. You know, Cops the, do this all the it, time. This is yeah. this is this is how we catch them. What, you, you don't actually put a thirteen-year-old out there as a lore. You, you, <laughs> you pretend, um, and and idiots, yes, exactly. you know, idiots and, and morons, you know, who who are not right in the head and do not have their critical thinking engaged, fall for it because they're in the grip of whatever horribleness that they're in the grip of. But yeah. Um, it's yeah. You know, there, there's you know the excuses are going to start. It's um, I've seen some QAnon references. It's like oh, oh Mufon's deep state. You know Q Q Q will bring real. Discussion. Really? Yeah, yeah. Somebody yeah, on, that, on yeah, yeah, it has. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is is you know is this connected to you know all the other child trafficking rumors that uh, that are out there? And it's you know it, it's the sort of thing where you you get any organization that's now, my first initial, my initial thought was, well, any organization that is large enough from the Roman Catholic Church to the Boy Scouts is, you know, going to have these issues come up, except MUFON's not that big I mean, yeah. compared to the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts. Um, and and like Greg was saying, I, I think this sort of – if this is the, the final nail in the coffin um, – yeah, that's that's fine. Um, it, it's it's a relic. The organization is a relic. Organizations like it are a relic, um, not just be, not just because of the nature of the phenomenon and its its anti-structural nature, like Greg was saying, but also um, also because we we have the tools where we don't need these large, you know, multinational hierarchical structures to basically manage. I mean, not to offend anybody out there, basically to manage a hobby. What's a hobby for yeah. a lot of people? An avocation, yeah. Um, yeah. and it, it's we, we don't we don't need it. And and sort of you know as we as we get talking about about Leah Haley's situation, um, the way Mufon treated the the records of um, of abductees, their their sessions and things like that. Um, oh yeah, the Carpenter thing. Yeah. The Carpenter affair. It, it's uh, yeah, there's there's a long history of. People running a large organization and not actually seeming to know how to run a large organization in an ethical way. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's I think a lot of it is ignorance as as much as you know rather than you know always being mendacity but um, and greed greed's always a always a factor and being flattered by powerful mysterious people who want your information because you've done such a great job collecting it you know my group <laughs> wants your stuff oh wow it's being taken to the next level no no some 
weirdos just no, buying they're just vacuum. Stuff. Yeah, they're just vacuum cleaning up your stuff for something that you have no idea, and you have you will never have any idea, and something that most people probably wouldn't approve of, right. which is why they're doing it in secret. That has so, nothing to do with flying saucers, probably. Exactly. <laughs> it has, probably has something to do with you know whatever. It has has to do with you know how do how, how do these groups how do their minds work how does the how how does how does that block of people think. What is their motivation? What is the best way to, you know, um, control people's uh, perceptions? Um, and I think getting all this data would would help quite a bit. And there's probably also other deep, dark things having to do with uh, uh, things that Jack is probably more familiar with, um, having to do with uh, uh, perception management, mind control, things like that. Jack, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, well, that's that's flattering of you, Greg. Thank you. What, what I've been thinking about, what you guys have been saying, is that the UFO genre and MUFON and its conferences and its journal, by the very nature of it, like how Aaron was saying, it's kind of a, a hobby, more or less. By its very nature, we've come to have very low expectations of its its credibility and how reliable the information is and um, would almost be okay to think of it as entertainment purposes only if they didn't claim to be dedicated to scientific study right in their mission statement. Yeah. And what I think right. about like what's happened with Harzen and the problems with the Carpenter affair that we'll probably talk more about as we go, and circumstances uh, that, that we could think of related to the Leah Haley case and just uh, MUFON indiscretions in general, is that the very nature of the organization and the genre tend to be kind of fantasy-prone and fantasy-based, or at least really willing to suspend judgment. And where that becomes a problem is when we start collectively taking it for granted that hypnosis is a a good memory-finding tool and that... uh, uh, Space aliens just do like strawberry ice cream and all these kinds of things. (laughs) Then we kind of start to lose touch that a certain segment of the population um, do have behavioral problems. And we we should be concerned when we're in public, when we're interacting with people. As a general rule, we don't just distrust people. But we would tend to be much more um, cautious, shall we say, in a grocery store or at a business meeting than we might be at a UFO convention, which really should be the opposite. I, I mean, mm. we're, we're kind of inviting people to charlatans, people with, with very difficult belief stories, We've kind of created an environment for that kind of thing. And even as we've worked on this stuff as researchers, we tend to avoid the topic of sexual indiscretions because a lot of reasons, and they're good reasons. We don't want to falsely accuse people of things. 
We don't want to um, be that guy that drags things down. Yet th there are some instances, um, the Carpenter Affair, again, is one of them, where we don't talk much about it, but the reason they even called it that is it's a double entendre. It's not just that it was about selling files, but there was was some apparent sexual dysfunction. And this isn't speculation. I obtained, and they're available on my blog, um, documents from Missouri and the state licensing board where Carpenter was a licensed mental health or licensed social worker and in which he was required to go through a six-month probation period on his license for an impaired professional that arose out of um, problems with his marriage and um, triangulating and various problems to that effect, particularly in, in one incident that's cited in this report, he had a client at his office and a wife and a woman that was apparently involved with them converge on the office all at the same time. And this, this was very dysfunctional and concerning to the licensing board about how um, the, the level of care he could be giving that client that was at his office under such circumstances. And so for, for understandable reasons, we often don't talk about that kind of stuff, but I think yeah. by its nature, the UFO community kind of averts from it and, and avoids the reality of situations like that because we're generally so much more about, well, where's the alien in the story? And if there's not an alien in the story, I don't care what he was doing at yeah. his office. Yet still inviting the guy to, like, interact with people and speak at events and stuff. So somewhere there's got to be a happy median there. Yeah, that's, well, that's I really good. So. I, mean, I mean, respecting and uh, not feeding into people's um, mental health problems. I have personal experience with individuals who are prone to kind of fantastical stories uh, using those conspiracy and UFO mythos. <laughs> and, you know, when you would hear these stories and, you know, I cared about this person, I didn't want to feed into it. You know, you get excited. Well, t tell me more. But then, you know, you, don't, you really don't want to... Um, hurt them further and encourage something that might not really be good for them. I agree with that. And there's at least two different kinds of support that we can offer. And one is investigative where we really put on our critical thinking hats and, and look for what answers to these cases might be. And the other is an emotional support and where, we really don't care about the story, but just want to help a person and do yeah. what's good for them. And especially, like you're suggesting, if they go to credentialed professionals that are charging for their services, um, it should be really clear what, what the objective, what kind of support is being offered, what's being sought, and what that behavior looks like. Well, Jack, let's uh, so let's get into the Carpenter affair because we can kind of since we're on that. What was that all about? Well, the Carpenter affair. I got on the trail 
Um, when I was blogging about her case in roughly 2010 to 2012, and what it was was a series of transmissions from John Carpenter to Robert Bigelow and his National Institute for Discovery Science, NIDS, the, the Skinwalker guys. During the 1990s, Carpenter had made available to Bigelow and NIDS um, some 140 case files, and I, I have reason to believe that also involved hypnosis tapes that Carpenter, as a social worker and hypnosis uh, practitioner, had conducted with people who thought they were... Um, abductees, alien abductees, and at the time he was the MUFON director of abduction research and basically gave all the files to Bigelow, copies thereof. Uh, on my blog, I've uh, interviewed him about it, several other people, and um, this is not an allegation. It did happen. It's uh, confirmed by Carpenter himself as well as through many documents and other sources. An investigator named Gary Hart filed complaints to MUFON when he heard about it around the turn of the century. He was hearing about it around 2000 from uh, various witnesses and of UFO events. He was investigating and people in Missouri and Gary Hart filed complaints to MUFON that went nowhere, and John Schusler and the board continued to keep Carpenter in a leadership position. And uh, Hart eventually, with the help of some of the people that were involved, that files were, were given without their knowledge or consent, were given to Bigelow, Hart solicited their help and made a formal complaint to the state of Missouri, the licensing board for Carpenter as a social worker, and that was what led to the six-month probation period on Carpenter's license. To the best of my knowledge, the MUFON board never did make the organization or any of the people aware of it. Carpenter resigned shortly after the complaint to the state of Missouri and uh, completed his probation period, to the best of my knowledge, that required, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, counseling for an impaired professional and submitting progress reports from his employer and a number of other, uh, a number of other stipulations. And... Also, as I suggested earlier, th this was not just a matter of betrayal of the 140 people and the MUFON um, collective membership, but also um, there were dysfunctional relationships involved. And for instance, he married two of his former hypnosis patients. Oh, gosh. Which, <laughs> understandably, that, that, that's not what, to say the least, and to be very kind, 
that's not what we would define as the kind of clear boundaries and objectives of support that we'd hope to establish in such a setting and relationship. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. How, how influential was uh, John Carpenter in uh, Leah Haley's, uh, the, the development of her experience stories that she'd then uh, uh, put out to the public? Quite. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was referred to John Carpenter by Bud Hopkins, and between Carpenter and his associates, um, I believe it was some 14 hypnosis stories that her entire uh, narrative grew out of a memory, uh, a fragmented memory of a UFO sighting as a child and some 14 hypnosis sessions later had a completely changed identity and um, this whole narrative of aliens and military people and um, a complete crisis of self that that I don't know how much we can completely contribute that to John Carpenter, but between he and some other key MUFON personnel that, uh, as Aaron recently covered in his... Uh, uh, much recommended podcast saucer life um, it, it's very safe to say that along with the other personnel that took her on a hike of Eglin Air Force Base that's extremely questionable and some things like that it, it's easy to define this as the manufacture of an alien abductee in my mm-hmm. opinion yeah yeah. So, Aaron, let's get into the skinny about this whole case. Like, you know, she really comes from this point of view at first that she's an alien abductee, just kind of like the basic kind of story. Yeah. But then later on, she develops this idea that there's a lot, there's there's more going on, and she goes away from that. And then Greg, yeah. too, like, Greg, you said you had, like, some, you met her at one point, right? Yeah, at uh, Roswell in 97 i met her in davenport and i bought a copy of the transformation of america from nice he tried tried to hide he had it i asked him if he had that book and he looked at me with a strange look like like he was selling porno and pulled it out (laughs) well well, it is (laughs) yeah it pretty much is and he pulled it out from underneath the table and quietly took my money and like like you know we were like he was selling me drugs or something. Um, and I haven't delved into the case or the, gotten involved with Haley as much as Jack has. I read some of the stuff on, on his site about Haley and how much he had uh, talked to her, studied her, interacted with her and all this, which, um, you know, <laughs> kudos to you for even approaching her. But, um, you know, my, my interaction with them was uh, buying the book from her, getting it signed by her, talking to Mark Davenport, and basically kind of hearing what the story was in its embryonic form. I don't even think she was talking about abductions much in 97. Um, I think she had identified as an abductee, but it hadn't progressed to the point definitely that, that it's that, uh, um, where Jack encountered her. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting story because um, her first book, uh, Lost Was the Key, came out in 93, mm-hmm. and that was um, sort of the it it, read, it it reads like an abductee book. You know, if you've read an abductee book, you know, sort of the, these things were happening, and then I had these memories, and then I went to this hypnotist, and then all these things started to to become to become clear to me. But there's there's some twists there that are are really interesting. I think I think the the, the sort of big twist with Haley, and it might not sound like a like a twist in 2020, but in 1993, her talking about how. The um, the Air Force, there were Air Force officers in her town who she claimed were following her. Um, one who was uh, the husband of one of her students in her accounting class was uh, was inviting her down to Watt to see a space shuttle. But then, it, like, you know, come, come by yourself and we'll just both drive just drive down there, just acting really suspiciously. Um, she had a friend, like a friend of hers in town whose husband was in the Air Force, um, and they were good friends until Leah suggested that the air force might not be telling the truth about ufos and this friend just like cuts her off and like like sort of like responds with like <laughs> like project blue book talking points about why you know it, it's just sounding really coached um it, it just seems like she was manipulated from from a very early stage in this and she sort of you can, b- between the first book and then um Oh, unlocking alien closets in 2003 or 2004, sort of her second book. Um, you can sort of see the wheels turning as she's going through this, and she's sort of putting together very slowly that all is not as it seems. This is not I am being abducted and experimented upon, and and eventually she gets to the point where where she believes that that these things, these experiences, were manufactured. And, and sort of impressed upon her, but there's this middle phase where she believes she's been abducted and abused by the military, sort of the Milab thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, she is in contact with good aliens, and there are good aliens working with good humans and bad aliens working with bad humans, and so you've got these these two sides. So there's this. She sort of you almost see her as you read it, trying to come up with a narrative that explains what mm-hmm. she's going through. And then she sort of does her, um, her husband, her second husband, um, uh, Davenport gets into, uh, get, you know, sort of talks to her about non-lethal weaponry and the stuff he's been learning about mind control and things like that. And she comes to the conclusion that, um, the marks like the, you know, the distinctive abductee marks that she has, that if you look at the diagram of a, it's sort of like a, a really nasty taser sort of thing called uh, the sticky shocker, that mm-hmm. the marks on her body match the sort of metal tines of this non-lethal weapon that uh, that the military had been developing. So, you know, she had been, you know, abused, she believed, but not necessarily by aliens. And I, I think the creepiest part of the story was when she would have what she called virtual reality experiences, which is the most late 90s, early 2000s thing you can call yeah. anything. But um, <laughs> it, 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 it's just like, oh, don't call it that, please. Uh, <laughs> this book is instantly dated. Um, but uh, she, she's hearing voices and having visions, and they aren't dreams and they aren't abductions. It's um, it's just these visions. And then other times she hears 
voices. And there's this one thing she talks about it. She talks about it in the book, and she also talks about it in. Um, I, I used some clips from a talk she gave at a, uh, I think a Florida MUFON meeting in in 2004, 2005, where she was driving down the road, and there was a voice in her head telling her to drive off the road into a tree. Mm. And mm-hmm. you know, then she did some reading about sort of the uh, the, the, the sort of I don't know what to call it, but like the ultra low frequency, you know, yeah. mind interference, mind interference beams. I'm not sure. Like the voice, like the skull, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's yeah, voice to skull, yeah. voice to skull stuff. So yeah, it's it's an interesting story, and and along the way, um, her her first husband leaves her, and um, her daughters wanted nothing to do with her. I, I think, you know, you read about the sticky shocker and the, the voice to skull telling her to drive off the road into the tree. But I, I think for me, uh, the saddest part of the book was when she talked about her, um, her, I think one of her daughters, you know, just referring to, um, to her ex-husband's new wife as mom and, and sort of not involving Leah in the wedding or inviting her to the wedding. She sort of found out later that her daughter got married. Um, it's just like, you know, this woman sticks to the story, you know, tenaciously. And, and she, um, you know, the, the story changes as she learns more information. I, I really appreciated how she was open to reinterpreting her experiences as she got new information. Um, but, you know, at, at no point did she just say, okay, I'm just going to ignore this and try to get on with my life. Uh, it, and so she really does, uh, she really does lose, uh, lose a lot, uh, which, which is... Which is very sad. And when, when you listen to her, when you listen to her in uh, YouTube clips and things like that, um, I, she seems, I don't want she seems, she sounds credible. She doesn't sound like she's, like she's working you. She doesn't sound like, like the typical, like, I don't, I don't want to say the typical UFO speaker conference circuit person, but she, she's not. She's not out to rip anybody off. It, it just she seemed sincere. It, it's, but it's a it's a sad story and it's a weird story. Mm. But then less uh, less speculative is that she really does seem to have been really manipulated by the local uh, Mufon leadership and some of whom were yes. ex-military. Yes, they um, they took her to a beach. You know, she had a, a vision that she was, you know, something ha- there's been a crash or something on this beach, and and the beach was um, part of I can't oh, and of course the name of the the name of the Air Force Base just El- Elgin Air Force Elgin, Base Elgin Elgin Air Force Base. Um, so they said, well, we can we can we can take you on there. We'll, we'll go, and they go, and she finds this this odd device, which is sort of a, a non-lethal weaponry sort of thing, I believe. And it looks like a giant egg timer, I think she described it as. And and so these guys who were MUFON guys, um, they're in Florida, were, were able to, you know, they all went to the beach and everything was fine and nobody bothered them and, and they were within the, the perimeter, you know, the you will be shot if you don't leave perimeter. <laughs> and then when she tried to go back again, um, you know, she was, you know, picked up and chased off within within minutes, right? So how i mean if 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 you know, taking as read the story as she told it you know why why and how are these these mufon guys getting this authorization for her to go and and go right to the spot where she digs up this thing in the sand it, it's 
yeah, it's 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 very stage managed, if that makes sense. It's just like mm-hmm. this is being sort of sort of presented to her, and she's this this character in this this drama that that is playing out, and it's all being being like you said manipulated. And Jack, she actually tried to attempt to do the same thing again, right? Yes, she did. She she and Mark Davenport, her husband, made an effort to uh, take that hike again, she told me, because she became suspicious about how she was allowed to walk across an Air Force base with a couple of... Uh, guys, one of them a a MUFON leader, Donald Ware, and another one a former MUFON board member. And uh, she was quickly stopped. They both were, and they were uh, warned about being put in the brig if they didn't leave immediately. But I also wanted to comment, uh, please, on you asked about uh, if if it was much less speculative that this uh, that she was manipulated by by people in MUFON and people near her. Yes, absolutely. That was what actually interested me in the story. And I first contacted her uh, to, to read her books and to see if she was open to, to interacting with me about questions I might have, was that so many of these stories are about distant memories um you know we're like talking to someone that's 50 or 60 years old and they remember something that might have been in their 20s or we're talking to a 40 year old about something that when they were 10 years old and they're very vague and and ambiguous where leah's case offered us an opportunity to look at specific dates specific names allowed me to go to these men and say, what on earth led you to believe you could just take this woman hiking across Eglin Air Force Base? And then when I'm not able to get satisfactory answers, as Aaron was saying, I don't know to what extent uh, this this covert stuff went. I, I don't know how official. I don't know exactly why Robert Bigelow was interested in obtaining these files. I don't know how interested people in in Bigelow's circles were. I could never get straight answers on that. But yes, it did allow us definitely opportunities to ask, to get specific names, specific dates, places things happened, and ask everybody there, what the hell, man? What were you thinking? And and if you're not under the ether of UFO stories, it just doesn't make rational sense. Well, who were some of these? Who were, in particular, I guess, this uh, Donald Ware and Robert Reed, uh, in addition to that we already talked about, Carpenter, who did the hypnosis sessions with her, but then there's these two guys. They're both former military, right? And they have connections to even more shady characters. Mm-hmm. Right, and Donald Ware went on when he he had a parting of the ways with MUFON, and he went on to uh, be the front guy for the International UFO Conference. 
that it has now become a you know quite well attended annual convention out in Phoenix, I believe they they meet. And yeah, he was one and and he'd just have bizarre answers to my questions off the wall thing. Um for instance, for one thing he he told me that they were able to take the hike because you can walk on the base during low tide if you stay within 10 feet of the water line. So I thought, well, that's easy enough to check. And I, I called the, the base and asked if I could do that. And I was told in no uncertain terms not to expect to come on that base without proper authorization. So while... There are any number of things that could explain it, and obviously something does because it happened. He was never able to communicate that explanation to. Yeah, so the implication here is is that she was allowed on the base, and when she tried to go back, they told her she couldn't. So the implication you, you would have to kind of derive is that she was basically part of some kind of program that they were using it gets real hard to figure out motive but yeah, yeah. It, it, it does seem that that someone got permission for whatever reasons that these three could walk on the base that day a 14 mile hike all the way from one end of it to the other and mm -hmm. uh and and for whatever reasons are unable to communicate that to me. Um, another person kind of of interest in the story to me was um, Tom Dooley, a longtime MUFON board member and former NSA man that, that wrote about UFOs in the NSA. And he was kind of interesting to me because so many of these board members had contradicting statements about Haley's case. For instance, Carpenter, he, he, his stance to me was um, pretty much, yeah, I gave Bigelow the information. I gave him copies of the files. He, he paid me for them. That's and by I didn't mention that earlier, but uh, Carpenter was paid approximately fourteen thousand dollars for these hundred and forty files, and hmm. his representation of the story is that's what researchers do. We discreetly pass things around. This was a good scientific body with NIDs, and I was honored to interact with them. While Dooley had a completely opposite uh, um, stance to the Tampa Tribune, um, at, at literally the time, I found this so interesting, the, at the point in time that Carpenter was, was sharing these case files and writing a column in the MUFON journal about call abduction notes that um, he wrote about both alien and military abductions as being a reality. At this same point in time, in an interview with the Tampa Tribune, 
Tom Dooley told the Tribune that they were embarrassed by Haley's case right. and that it really made it hard for scientific uh, people that are trying to do serious work and completely <laughs> represented MUFON as disavowing her case and wanting nothing to do with it. When by the time I'm reading this, I know as a matter of fact, they were front and center all down the line in manufacturing it. Like the, the hypnotist was a MUFON guy. The guys that told her where they thought she crashed on this spaceship were MUFON guys. And then there's a MUFON guy saying, we really discourage this kind of wild speculation. And I, I, I uh, tried on a few occasions to get Tom Dooley to account for that, and um, he, he did not show an interest in wanting to discuss it. I also tried to get John Alexander, who was a board member for, and an employee for um, NIDS at the time, to discuss what uh, he thought Bigelow's interest may have been in those files, and if he had any interest in it, and uh, Colonel Alexander simply told me, you should ask Bigelow if you're interested in old affairs, which, of course, I had tried to do, ask Bigelow and his representatives, and they never uh, returned any of my attempts at communication. And I asked John Schusler too. I sent him a, a several emails at different times asking if it would be okay to ask some questions about the Carpenter affair for blog posts, and he never responded to my emails. And uh, Mr. Schusler was a uh, longtime member of the board, and he sat on a, a scientific advisory committee for NIDS at the time so it became really clear to me as I continued to, to look through these things and read the comments of some of the, the uh, outraged uh, MUFON people, like Larry Bryant was one who was concerned about wanting to know who all knew about the Carpenter affair and when they knew it, that were concealing it from the board and the membership. And it became increasingly clear that, uh, Mr. Schusler probably did know about it for a long time and, and uh, had no, no particular concerns about it, if not endorsed it. So those are some of the names of the people that were involved and that were able to go to and ask what happened. And um, some of them are willing to try to defend their actions and some of them don't want to discuss it at all, which... I was particularly interested in Colonel Alexander because, you know, he, I'm kind yes. of amused when I say he likes to tell us that he's willing and able to discuss inside baseball until he doesn't feel like it. And then he says, <laughs> no, I'll pass on that one. Yeah. So let me ask you this, uh, Greg, you know, this whole thing, I mean, there's a little bit of like kind of like that Project Beta-esque shenanigans going on here. I mean, what do you what do you think about all this? Well, it seems like there is an attempt to as 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 far as you know, if if I uh, if I have the story straight, what there's an attempt at some sort of um, perception management of of uh, Leah Haley, uh, you know, up to and including you know what you might consider mind control. Um, 
for Paul Benowitz's part, I don't think, and you know, I've I've seen comments where people have said that I'm apologizing for more. I'm a friend of his, and so I, I I'm not critical about it. Um, I think that uh, it depends on the person. I mean, in Leah Haley's case, she had so much going on. She had so much going on in her life um, that could be what? If you trust somebody and there's something that you're not sure about in your mind that may be a little unclear, if they want to clarify it for you under hypnosis, you know, uh, for example... You're going to cling on to, and this is what Jack was saying about helping people, you're going to cling on to whatever they say that makes you feel like the the situation that is unresolved in your mind will make more sense, even if that scenario is not good for you um, uh, when you're looking at outside of the situation. Now, for Paul Benowitz's part, I don't think he was mind-controlled. I don't think he was... um, uh, well, he may have been, actually. that There was one story about where he said he was getting... Somebody was coming and injecting him with chemicals, he said. Mm. Um, and both Dodie, who apparently I'm best buddies with, even though he won't talk to me, um, <laughs> and um, I believe Gabe Valdez, who nobody will impugn his, uh, his reputation, both told me that there was... And Bill, too. Um, more told me there was evidence that he had some sort of injection marks on his arms and they don't know where that came from either somebody was doing it he was doing it to himself who knows and that's a very scary dangerous part of it um yeah, no up doubt. to that yeah up to that point and i did mention that specifically in the book because i wanted to make it clear that that had been part of the story um but before that point who knows what was going on because according to most people i talked to uh, including people that were not affiliated with the government. Um, poor um, Benowitz was like a lot of UFO researchers in that their belief system took pre- precedence over any information that was presented to them unless it happened to agree with their belief system. So that makes it very easy for anybody that wants to um, control your perception to control it. This mm-hmm. is why I tell people, you know, especially with disclosure, if whatever that is as soon as you're hearing exactly what you want to hear, you should be very suspicious. Yeah, one thing I hope that so answered your question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did. well, he was he was definitely manipulated, and so they were both. I guess really the the similarity is is that they were both manipulated to a certain end. The one yeah. thing I wanted to um to ask Greg about is that um in in her books, uh, Leah Haley had a, a friendship or relationship with Carla Turner, and mm. I, I know that that you're familiar with, with Carla and and uh, and her story. And um, did did I, I'm not as familiar with uh, with with Carla's story as I am with with some others. But did I, I think I remember you mentioning at various points that um, that Carla experienced some some sort of terrestrial oddness in addition to her sort of otherworldly oddness that she went through the only terrestrial oddness as you say that i can remember had nothing to do with any influence from any 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 uh, official organization or government organization but that the one thing i do remember that she told me is before any of her abduction type stuff um and i think this was in the interview i published with her way back i don't know when in the 90s and excluded middle 
um, that she said that um, at one point in her life, she she got on a plane. She traveled to India. Uh, she she you know lived in an ashram or something there. Had a boyfriend and then came back to the United States. Um, and then realized later she has no idea why, but that entire episode lasted like before it was like a Philip K. Dick novel almost. Oh, wow. she suddenly, yeah, she was suddenly, you know, back where she was. And like she said, it seemed like, you know, months and months had passed and she had no evidence she had, she had actually been to India and done all this. I think I remember this correctly. And, you know, I don't know if that's evidence of a pathology or some sort of influence or mind control, whatever you want to call it. But this is, she said, this was way before any of her abduction stuff. So I think a lot of this abduction, these abduction scenarios are recurring, are occurring, you know, definitely in some sort of altered state. So I don't know exactly what's happening to people. Um, but, you know, for the purposes of our discussion here, it's very easy when something like that is so malleable to form it to something that you want the person to think rather than what may have quote unquote actually happened, which I don't think we have any access to because, you know, nobody can get, nobody's had video film, anything, cameras don't work. There's something else going on. I I think, you know, something like an abduction scenario actually, there is an external agency involved occasionally that is not, I don't think is um, the military. I don't know what that influence is. Mm-hmm. It could be some indigenous, inde- endogenous thing in our brains that does that, or it could be, you know, some other some other kind of beings or entities trying to influence us. I don't know, but you know, the point is that when something is that, uh, um, what's the word, open to interpretation, um, the mind will interpret it as it will in a way that makes sense to the person, you know, experiencing it. And if that has to be alien abduction, so be it. Or if it's going to be, you know, uh, 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 you know, a military abduction, so be that too. Um, but th- those, those memories under hypnosis and other things are, are, uh, I believe are quite malleable. And that's, that's unfortunate because some people that are doing these hypnosis sessions do not have the best interests of the people they're hip- hypnotizing in mind, be it the military or, Simply mm-hmm. just somebody that wants to write an important UFO book and have this be their big case, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one one thing about um, speaking of the the hypnosis, um, I, I covered this in the uh, the the Haley episode I did. But uh, when when confronted about about uh, the um, sending the the information the the records to uh, you know Mufon and Mufon getting selling those records, uh, Carpenter's lawyer's argument was that. Uh, that Carpenter was uh, was engaged in this as a hobby. Uh, this was he c- simply collected abduction accounts. Um, there was nothing clinical involved. This was not he was not doing this in his function as a therapist. He was doing this. At, he was off the clock. He was a civilian. Therefore, it was his personal property that he was um, right. that he was d- disposing of. But then, you know, a few years later, when he's moved into a new office building, he sends out his newsletter to the the abduction people, and he he talks about how now maybe their their health insurance can, can cover the cost of this. Like, wait, wait a minute. I mean, it's, well, and obviously, it, Mufon is using those credentials to give them, uh, right. you know, a leg up. Yeah, and okay, so so if Legitim- I'm if I'm a surgeon, and you know, in my in my off time, I'm operating on people in my garage, 
Um, <laughs> and one of them dies because I used like a garden trowel instead of a scalpel <laughs> to remove their appendix. It, it's it's not really a a great defense. Like what? I wasn't doing this in my capacity as a doctor. I did this in my capacity as somebody who enjoys cutting people open. Um, it, it, it's you know it, it's it, uh, it, it it was not a good look uh, or. <laughs> For, for him and, and and of course all the all the stuff Jack talked about with um with with Carpenter with his the disciplinary actions and and things like that and um as far as I know uh, I, I'm I'm I might be wrong but I don't think Carpenter ever sort of took the tack that that he was disciplined as retaliation for him being involved with with UFO activities which uh, which at least puts him at a higher level than somebody like Richard Boylan who uh, you know <laughs> was defrocked and and said well this is this is all just because of you know the, the office of naval intelligence is after me because they know I'm on the side of the good aliens or something like that but um <laughs> Boylan is the nastiest interview I ever had. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. I love that interview in um, the excluded middle collection that you that you did with Boylan because he is just he is just spiky and hostile and arrogant. Um, everything. Arrogant. But the and, funny thing was, he was very gentlemanly as he did it. We didn't like yell at each other. We didn't get nasty. But the words were and people were saying, "Well, you were so mean to him." And it's like, well, he was being arrogant. Of course, I'm right. going to be a little more a little more pointed and, and uh, what's the word? And, and my, 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 sh- my questions are going to be a little sharper since he's being kind of arrogant and, and nasty with me about it. It's like, okay, if you think, you know, it's like, well, how do you know this is going? Well, cause I'm a doctor and you're not it's like, that's, that's a ridiculous <laughs> reason. Yeah. I mean, he, he would say things like that. So, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was a cordial, you know, socially, but uh, as an interview, people, people actually told me, wow, you were really mean to him. And it's like, well, he was being a dick. It's like you could tell from from what you quoted him as saying is he's being so condescending. Um, yeah, you know, to to every. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply sort of like just just like your your honest follow-ups like well this is very different from what everybody else who's you know done this has said and you're like but um sort of to to link boylan with uh with leah haley boylan was a a huge promoter of uh of of haley's kids book cito's new friends as oh yeah i remember a, a a very valuable tool for for you know helping children understand the experiences that uh, that they're having, and I, I did an episode on 
on Cito's new friends. And um, one thing that one conclusion that I that I came to is, despite its uh, its its reputation over the last uh, the last twenty twenty odd years, um, it it wasn't really as as creepy and as sort of you know creepy as as it had a reputation uh, as as it had a reputation for being and I, I think um bob gerard as, uh, our, yeah as gerard would have you think. yeah bob God, gerard I, like I love that review that review is you know lock it up with the guns in the porn you know this is, this is a, <laughs> a dangerous book that should not be allowed into uh into kids hands well and, hey um Serfiel, um yeah is it Cedo's new friends? I mean, isn't that in one of the Apocalypse culture books? Yeah, that's where I first encountered it. And uh, I mean, maybe give a give a background of Cedo's new friends for people who may not have heard your episode on the Saucer Life, because it's for a lot of people, it's probably the most infamous thing that Leah Haley is known for. Yeah, which is, um, and I, and I think it really has sort of sadly overshadowed um, her other her other work, which I, I really sort of grew to appreciate. So Cito's New Friends is a, a kid's storybook about uh, about two kids, and, and basically it's meant to represent um, Leah and her brother when they were children, sort of mirrors their experience. And, and in her in her um, in her grown-up book, she refers to Cito as the, the being, one of the beings she encounters. Um, these these kids, you know, they, they meet this alien, he takes them up in the ship, he teaches them how to talk with their minds, um, and, uh, and he gives them a magic stone, and then they go home, and they hope that they see Cito again. And it, um, the, the, the criticisms of the book sort of, sort of all were, were on the, the sort of because this came out in in ninety five, this was this was sort of you know stranger danger was was kind of the uh-huh. the warning about it that this is going to encourage children to to go off with strangers and and you know get get victimized. Um, only if but, they look like aliens. Though. Only if, only if they look like aliens. Yes, you run away from the ones who look like you know humans. But if they're short and chalky colored, big eyes. They look like Jan Harazan. Run. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad you did. But um, <laughs> so, someone went there. <laughs> I, I, um, and uh, nice. And so so here's the thing. I um and I, I sort of talked about this in in a, a previous sort of sort of mini episode I did. There's a, a contactee um, I I covered a few months ago named Greta Woodrew who is is very not well known because she's much more of a, a new agey sort of person than a UFO person. But she wrote a very similar children's book back in the late eighties called, um, hear the colors, see the music. And, um, it's about wow. two, two kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like total, like synesthesia type stuff. Um, so these kids, there's two kids, they meet an alien, they go for a ride. They te- the alien teaches them special mental powers, um, seeing the seeing the colors or seeing the music, hearing the colors. Uh, that's sort of the metaphor for their expanded consciousness. They go, it's the same plot as Cito's new friends. Not, I'm not saying that that Haley plagiarized this, and I'm not absolutely not saying that because it's about the most obvious kids' book UFO story you can come up with. It, it's you know, it, it's g- very generic, but Cito's new friends is perceived as the super creepy kids UFO book and um, hear the colors, see the music is not. 
there's a couple reasons for that. One is Greta Woodrow's book. No, nobody knows who Greta Woodrow is. Um, she is she she was in the, it was in the early 80s. By the time the big UFO boom comes in the late 80s and into the 90s, she's retired. Um, so she's out of the scene, and she was never really in the scene. Um, it, it's a whole huge story. But um, so so this book was not well known at all. The other thing. And I, I think, and I will. This is this is my hill that I'm dying on. <laughs> if Cito's new friends had a, this is a judgment call. I realize had a competent artist, mm-hmm. it would not have been perceived nearly as creepily. Yeah. As yeah. Who was the illustrator? Oh, it's the same woman who did the horrible cover to Haley's first book. Um, I can't remember her name. I think she was she was one of these people who was in the Lisa Florida. Dusenberry. Yes, that's it, Lisa Dusenberry. And I think she was she was one of the people who who was in the, the sort of Florida UFO scene. So I think that's where uh, where where Haley knew her from. But the the, the illustrations in Cito's New Friends are pure nightmare fuel. These these kids have these giant eyes. It's it's yeah. It's, they're like night. They're like UFO Bill Keen paintings. Yes. It's it's a very sort of uncanny valley thing where yeah. that's a good word. They're right. realistic, but they're just wrong enough to be really upsetting. Um, yeah. And the picture where. Um, Cito taught them how to speak with their minds. You've got yes. these kids, giant eyes, just staring into the damn soul. Yes. And speak with their eyes. Yeah. It's it's just, I mean, the story, it's not a bad story. Cito doesn't hurt these kids. He's friendly with them. These kids aren't getting probed. You know, <laughs> you know there's there's none of this. There's no hints of any of that. Yeah. Um, and, and But but those, those drawings are messed up and i i think that's really what hurt um what hurt the book i I mean yeah so what was so what was the context just going to serfiel what was the context that parfrey why did he put that in apocalypse culture uh just because it's weird and creepy as shit um i think uh I think that's it was all the context that Parfrey needed. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> I, I knew Parfrey quite well, and you're right. Excellent. Yeah, uh, part two had a lot of creepy stuff with like the John Bonet Ramsey stuff, and and uh, it had a lot of that mind control, uh, pedophilia type of stuff in it. So it probably fit into that context. Mm. Uh, someone we haven't talked about yet. Um, who played a pretty large role, it looks like, and I wanted to ask a question as to uh, any any um, view of his character, uh, this Mark Davenport, who Haley married, right, after yes. meeting him in 1993? Is there, yes. uh, does anyone have a sense of Mark Davenport's uh, character? Because it, it would seem like in, in uh, Angolius, you've explored all these uh you know, 1990s mind control victim um, women like Bryce Taylor, Kathy O'Brien. They'd usually have this handler husband. Yeah, and it was a really kind of weird relationship. But what was Mark Davenport actually like? Because he think, seems like a sorry guy. He, yeah, he. I mean, the, the, everything I've read just gives me the impression that that 
if, if anything, he his his interest in mind control and his knowledge about the the background, and the experimentation, and and sort of the non lethal weaponry side of it, um, side of you know um, those uh, that research and investigation. What he did was he sort of pulled her away from the alien abduction side of it. Um, down to not necessarily a, a better story, but a story that was maybe a little more um, e- easy accessible. to uh, accessible, easy to digest, maybe right. a little more a little more realistic. Um, there's a book, and in a couple of weeks, there's going to be one of my little mini saucer afterlife things about it. There's a book called Gray Highway, which um, you can get on Kindle for 99 cents. It came out uh, originally came out like 20 years ago. Two buddies from college go on a road trip um, visiting UFO people across the country. And one of their stops was Murfreesboro, and they met with Leah Haley and Mark, and Mark Davenport. It's, I'd never heard of this book. Um, it just sort of came up on a Google search about Leah Haley. That's where I, I went was, to college at yep. Middle Tennessee State University. Yep. Wow. She, uh, she lived there. for, um, for That's where she sort of ran her publishing company out of. And the, the impression that you get of Davenport from that is that that he's the one who's really trying to make their whole operation into a business because they they started yeah. the, the book distributor stuff and the, uh, the the publishing of of her books they they did that in house and and he's the one who sort of pressures these these guys um, into buying them both dinner when they just invited Haley to dinner um he comes along and then sort of says well professionals would pay for our dinner and uh, they're like oh jesus we got no money we're sleeping in a tent you know these are they're just like poor kids who um one of them now is the editor one of the editors at country living magazine uh which oddly enough is in new york city but um it's it's an interesting book and then after dinner um after dinner davenport sort of pressures them into uh into buying uh buying uh leah's books and they're like we don't have money for this but we don't want to be dicks so so you know davenport sort of comes across as as a guy who's sort of on the make but yeah not in a sleazy sense in a sense of we need money to pay the rent this week kind of yeah sort of desperate small businessman sort of thing but then i mean like like greg said how he bought the uh um was it the thanks for the memories book um from him (laughs) he was obviously already aware of this story transformation of america oh transformation america okay so he but he's already aware of this idea of this hustle yeah oh yeah he's and so even though he doesn't seem really like uh you know a bad guy it's still kind of a he was still nonetheless maybe getting her to just have a a new story it still might just be a a story but it was it was maybe more hot at the time maybe um Maybe I, I think the, the the biggest thing, sort of sort of speaking to his favor, is is that he he never he didn't speak for her. You know, when you um, when you when you see videos of Mark Phillips and Kathy O'Brien, he's you can see him there, sort of dictating what she's saying and, and sort of hovering yeah. Yeah, in weird. the background in a, in a very very unsettling sort of way and. Um, and as far as I know, Davenport never made any outrageous claims as to his own background or expertise. He never claimed to be, you know, 
rescuing her. He's like, look, I've, I've done this research, and I think, you know, he's like, I honestly think something else is happening than what you think, rather than Mark Phillips, who, who was like, I, I've, you know, I'm going to deprogram you because I have this deep insider knowledge of, of what's right. going on. Um, so I, I don't think Davenport was, was as, you know, sort of maliciously manipulative. I, I, I think, um, you know, maybe... It, it came out of a more uh, a more genuine concern. He passed away um, a while back from cancer, and I know Jack. In your interview with Leah, you uh, you talked to her about that as well, and she had some pretty definite ideas about what had happened to him. I think. Yeah, she was concerned, um, as uh, I think was the same with Carla Turner. You know, they were there was. That was an era that, that um, people were concerned about induced cancers and things like that. And uh, she expressed some concerns about that. I, I believe they met actually on the conference cir- circuit. Yeah. As, as, uh, yeah, as Aaron was saying, I, I never interpreted that he tried to um, be overly influential or speak for. They were each already speakers and authors. And as Erin had discussed earlier, um, she did express to me that um, her her interest in UFOs and high profile involvement in the community pretty much cost her her first marriage. And then she did meet Mark uh, Davenport on the circuit, and then he um, eventually passed away from from cancer. And yeah, she she was she did express some concerns about that. I uh, I I think there's in, in any complex story like this, there's a lot of. Um, layered agendas of of what different people in MUFON may have been interested in and different uh, factions. You know, maybe Colonel Alexander was was just a distant player. You know, it's really hard to tell. I do think, though, what something that struck a chord with me was uh, Greg mentioned uh, Dr. Boylan's arrogance. I uh, I definitely picked that up from John Carpenter as well. Um, like an example would be that um, I interpret that he genuinely was angry, offensive, um, upset that that I would even ask him to account for why he did something he did. That it, it was, and you can see this kind of in the current day situation too, with with to the Stars Academy and and some of this access journalism. I interpreted that Carpenter was annoyed that if he had a direct line to Bigelow and had worked out a deal with Bigelow, how dare I even question what was going on? That and and with personalities like that we really get into what i kind of call the the mad scientist aspect this mad scientist dynamic where they seem to feel like that they they seem to feel like that they truly 
are above question and that the welfare of the people they interact with are insignificant emotional and physical welfare as compared to they're working on a book or a story or can get 14 grand from Bigelow or something yeah. like that. And then you have all these different agendas of we don't know who was behind Bigelow or, or why Bigelow did what he did. And, and um, then all of these outlying players that just see opportunities to do something and I'm kind of in Aaron's camp on on Leah always seemed sincere in that she was willing to revise her interpretations. Um, she uh, th there were a lot of interesting things about her story. As, as I said earlier, what what attracted me in the first place was the opportunities. To, to look at specific people. And I, I don't know what happened to her, uh, you know, exactly, but I do find it refreshing that she wore her, her, her attitude on her sleeve and she opened uh, her life to the UFO community to examine and question, as she offered to me. When I just showed an interest, she was like, yeah, let me know what, what, what's on your mind. And, you know, if, if I can, I'll, I'll help out. And it, it, it's it can be really emotionally turbulent, obviously, to do that because we might change our minds about what we think. Some of the stories are really personal. And uh, it, it, hers is kind of refreshing that she, she – Felt like she knew some things from time to time about what was going on, but always kind of had this underlying, uh, this underlying platform of, but it's subject to change. It's changed before. So there's that. Yeah. Well, then something I really want to get into with you, Jack, was uh, how John Alexander fits in all this and who he is, the things he explored, because I think that's kind of the uh, the most obvious uh, with uh, the most implications as far as uh, mind control, psychological warfare, and all these different things. Yeah, yeah, I, I can certainly understand why you'd ask that and why some people um, would be interested in that. And many UFO stories have this really odd component of how these same players always seem to be like one person removed from the main character again and again and again. And Colonel Alexander is a, a non-lethal weapons expert, a CIA consultant, a highly decorated Green Beret, Pentagon consultant, uh, prestigious career in the intelligence community, and bafflingly enough, for decades was a, a staple on the UFO circuit. Uh, I, he, he was one of those, as you guys were discussing earlier, if the disclosure's telling you what you want to hear, be careful. 
He -hmm. was one of those that people tended to want to believe when he said what they liked and wanted to call him a disinformation agent when he contradicted their pet theories. And he was an employee of Robert Bigelow at NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Science, uh, was one of the key players in the Skinwalker Bunch, and acted as a liaison to some extent through some of these uh, uh, ventures of Robert Bigelow. In fact, I... After I had been blogging about Leah's case, I was contacted by Elizabeth Chavez Carpenter, which is a former wife of John Carpenter. And though I did not know her at the time, I was familiar with her and her story from from researching and writing about the case. And she was one of the 140 that had her case file given to Robert Bigelow. And she indicated to me that that included hypnosis tapes and that she wrote Bigelow on several occasions and tried to get it back. And that at one point she thought contacting Colonel Alexander might bear fruit. So she tried that. She described him as being um, polite in their interactions, and she described some of the emails and interactions that they had, and that she interpreted he did try to help her, and at one point asked her had she received anything yet. And at another point, I I thought this was kind of an interesting implication anyway, he just mentioned to her that the, the tapes aren't at NIDS, whatever we're supposed to draw from that about, you know, hypnosis tapes or whatever, that he had checked at the offices and said they're not there. And uh, eventually she did receive in the mail, she told me, according to her, and I don't have any reason not to believe it, she said that she received a copy of her case file in the mail in an unmarked envelope and that uh, minus um, any hypnosis tapes, and she, of course, believes that they kept a copy. I asked her if she thought John Alexander was instrumental in having that happen, and she said, reflecting back on it, she really couldn't say. And uh, I asked her... If she had any thoughts on um, why Robert Bigelow may have had an interest in this and paid John Alexander for for those case files, and uh, her response to that was, "We may never know." And hmm. so that that's just a little about you know some of the other players in this story, and it, it's. It continues to intrigue me. One of the things that keep me interested is how these same players uh, go from NIDS and Skinwalker to Bass and ATIP and on to mm-hmm. CTSA. And uh, they'll even from time to time talk about the organizations as if these are um, really formal structured entities and agencies 
when when a more accurate description would be, you know, I called Bill on the phone and he said, rather than we <laughs> solicited, you know, because they're just, all, you know, like if each one of us just called ourselves an agency or something, you know. But it, it's, it is an interesting loop of people and, 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 and many of the primary stories we often found Colonel Alexander and Robert Bigelow and uh, one or the other of the MUFON board members not, not far removed. And, of course, we, we could tie all of this into James Perion's work, too, and some of his blog posts where, where he, he wrote about being interviewed uh, for a security clearance for John Schuessler that he was under the impression this interview was because of work Mr. Schuessler was doing for Robert Bigelow. And, you know, it, it just kind of goes on and on uh, uh, that will probably be the uh, research um, points of interest for, you know, researchers decades from now that at that point might can get more out of the FOIA process than we currently can. Yeah. We wanted to talk a little bit about Greg and Aaron. You guys are going to be at our strange realities conference this year, which we're doing online. Yes. Yes. So Aaron, what do you think <laughs> you might be speaking about at the strange realities conference? Um, I think I'm. I was thinking about that today when I was when I was uh, looking at my emails. Like, ah, what am I talking about? Um, I think what I'm going to be talking about, and I think I, um, I think I think we talked about this. Uh, when we were planning things. Is um, I'm going to for the first time be doing a presentation that is about the same topic as what I'm currently doing research on. So I'm not doing twice the work, which I've never been smart enough to do before. So um, I'm going to be talking about. Uh, Conspiracy theories with happy endings. Uh, conspiracy theories that nice, um, nice. it's it's not we're all going to be uh, we're all going to be put into a FEMA camp. All the, we're going to put all the bad guys into our FEMA camp. We are going to get rid of the people who are causing all the trouble. We are going to have wonderful, happy, um, good times. Finally, after uh, decades of being screwed by the Federal Reserve or the deep state or the um, or the the people who won't tell us the truth about aliens, uh, so we're we're going to have everything the way we've always wanted it. So a little uh, a little Nasara, a little um, sovereign citizen legal stuff about uh, gold fringed flags and admiralty <laughs> law. Yes, um, yes, yes. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a little uh, a little QAnon, probably a whole lot of UFO disclosure stuff. Um, Sort of, you know, going back to the day and sort of linking it to, um, to sort of the, the utopian things where if they finally tell us the truth about aliens. We can just get our perpetual motion machines and then we'll be fine. Yes. Uh, so it's, um, it's, it's going to be, uh, okay. I, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. I think that's going to be awesome. I'm lo really looking forward to that. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a, a really good one. Uh, Greg, are you there? Thinking of speaking about, um, the lack of right brain thinking in ufology uh, when it's completely focused on um, uh, what uh, data, um, uh, how, you know, the purity of somebody's information when in the UFO arena, it's never pure. And the third thing, 
that I think is that um, the weirdness and the and the hoaxery and the psychosis and all that are part, unfortunately or not, part of the mix. And we kind mm. of have to accept that in a lot of ways um, while still rooting out, you know, people that are what uh, are extremely negative, toxic or whatever. You know, somebody just spinning stories, that's fine. You have to expect that. But somebody, you know, viciously lying and hurting people by it. No, we don't we, we don't have to accept that. Um, or, you know, specifically deceptive because they want to put out a narrative or whatever it is. But my point is that uh, my, my view of the subject has gone from skeptic to believer, everything in between. And now I'm kind of soft focus. And I think I'm going to talk about that a little bit and maybe the benefits of that. Okay. No, that sounds great. Cool. All right. And uh, let's see, guys, let's just go down the list. Uh, Greg, I know you got to get going. So where can people find you? All that good stuff. Get your books. Well, I guess Amazon, the best place to get the books. Uh, just type in my name and type in Project Beta and all the other ones will come up. Um, and, uh, of course, my podcast, Writing Mysterioso, which is a sometimes podcast when I can get somebody good on. If there's somebody I really want to have on, I have a show. So that may be every week for a while or it might be once a month for a while or whatever. It's an occasional show that I try to keep the, uh, the interest and, the, and the, um, the quality up for myself. I mean, because I'm ultimately I'm only pleasing myself, which you guys know because you do a show. Yeah, we uh, we really appreciate what you do with that show too, Greg. We're big fans. So Absolutely. thank you so much. And uh, uh, Jack, where can people find you? I am the blog, the UFO Trail. It's a Google blog, ufotrail.blogspot.com, and. In the sidebar there, you can find my book, The Grades Have Been Framed. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the UFO Trail. Uh, you can search uh, in the upper left-hand corner for things we've been talking about. I have a blog post called uh, The Carpenter Affair for the Record, and it has the documents Aaron was discussing and uh, pretty much documentation of all the things we've discussed about Leah's case this evening. But basically, I'm at the UFO Trail and on Twitter, and you can find it all from my blog. And thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Highly recommend the blog as well. And uh, your book, The uh, Graves Have Been Framed. I recommend that to a lot Thank of people. You. So, Gullius. Yeah, um, saucerlife.com is uh, is where the show is, and or the saucer life on uh, on your podcast directory of uh, of choice. Um, we have a uh, a a our, one of our mini episodes. It's a mini episode week this week. Uh, um, well, it'll be last week or the week before last by the time people hear this. But we had a recent episode about uh, Otis T. Carr and Wayne Aho and their. He's a contactee. Wayne's a contactee. Right. Otis invented a fake flying saucer. Um, it's like a sitcom. It writes itself. Um, Major then, Aho. Major Aho. And uh, then um, <laughs> in uh, later this month, we have our first interview. We have our first guest that we've ever had. I've never done an interview, but uh, there's a guy named Matthew Kressel who wrote a book, probably the book at this point, about the series Dark Skies. So I had him on to talk about Dark Skies, and uh, and that was great. Um, so um, 
I remember yeah. Dark Skies. Dark Skies, yeah, yeah. About three and a half people watched it. Um, I, I kid Dark Skies. What a classic <laughs> show. Um, but uh, basically, if, if, Dark Skies, I think it's it was a, a sort of dry run at doing a show like um, like Project Blue Book. Sort of a, a cross X-Files with Mad Men sort of thing. So you you've got the conspiracy stuff, the alien stuff, but you've got a period setting. It was a it was a decent show. So we've got that coming up. Um yeah, some uh s- some good stuff. So saucerlife.com, you can find that, links to my books, all kinds of stuff. All right, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and to be back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the show, guys. We're closing everything out. And uh, that was a really good round table with Jack Brewer, Greg Bishop, and Aaron Gullius, man. Yeah, all-star UFO cast. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I really uh, appreciate those guys. Those are pretty much like, I think, some of the best in the field, in my opinion. At least I think amongst our little group. Um, how'd you feel about that? Uh, it was very interesting. Just uh, my my personal favorite aspect of the UFO phenomenon is probably more on that meta level of the uh, mind control aspects. Uh, so that's what's most interesting to me. And this case is probably one of the uh, the cases that make that uh, that emphasize that dimension the most. Yeah. Well, I've always it's one of those things, you know, it kind of, this has really interested me in the field of like the alien abduction phenomenon that there could be this kind of mind control aspect to it. And there's yeah. several cases. I mean, you, you really want to go back to Betty and Barney Hill. I mean, there's, there's Absolutely. material about that being part of some kind of mind control thing. There's a lot of interesting aspects to it. Um, and, and that's just a, where it's a pop, theme popularly yeah and betty and barney is where the popular conception of abduction as we know it really starts yes it does that's the first you might have like the antonio Velas boas case which is 57 but mm-hmm. that's in brazil and i don't think was even widely known to the rest of the world till probably about the 70s which is much later than the the hill case and just like all this other stuff we were talking about it's kind today, of basic, you yeah, know, yeah. they weren't described as they weren't described as grays, but they were described as being small, diminutive, yeah. rather large eyes. So this is that is kind of the start of the modern abduction myth is the uh, Betty and Barney Hill case. And right there, you also have uh, military affiliated. Hypnotism. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. Which is an aspect that I don't think has been looked into that much. But yeah. So, you know, I would almost say to, the way that I think about the case, that was probably where the mind control aspect came in, could have been the hypnotic regression to make them think that something happened to them 
by these aliens. And then you got all the weird stuff about the star map and all that. But there's, you know, there's in some ways, there's really no doubt in my mind. Um, then you got other stuff about Orfeo Angelucci, which we've talked about on the show. Yeah. Um, him uh, being put something being put into his drink and him having this vision that he sees in the drink, and which is very reminiscent of some kind of MK Ultra LSD experiments. Uh, there's several cases, and um, it's a theme. Like I said, it's a theme that runs out throughout ufology. You can't you can't ignore it. Um, yeah. It seems to me with uh, the Leah Haley story that she was being really manipulated and really guided to to think that she was being abducted as either some kind of cover or to have her out there as a cover. Uh, to make people believe that you know aliens exist, while the governments or the military or whoever is doing it, something else. So, yeah, or maybe just it was a uh, more of a just a operation of some of that MUFON leadership, and maybe her husband, um, you know, by turning it, helping her turn it into more of a mind control thing, was just following one of the trends of the time, kind of like what we explored, and maybe. Maybe there isn't any government involved. It maybe it's just a kind of weird, abusive relationship with some people who are supposed to be mental health professionals and some MUFON leadership and uh, just some overall, right. uh, you know. Right. Maybe although, it's a little more simple. Although what's bizarre in that in that respect is that she was allowed this kind of free reign, thirteen mile, and when she went back, she was told that she couldn't go any further. So it's almost like there had to have been some kind of military right. involvement or some kind of permission that was given to these guys. And a lot of them were ex-military. Well, I mean, I guess this is a good place to put in this personal anecdote. Um, yeah, there, we, yeah. we got a synchronicity with this because uh, in uh, last year, in 2019, in January, wasn't it January? It was January. Yeah, me and you went to Fort Walton Beach. Yes, we did. Yeah, we went down there with my stepson. He rented a, a Airbnb down there, and we actually took some pictures at uh, around Fort uh, the Edgeland Air Force Base. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so they supposedly walked from Navarre. Yeah to Fort Walton mm -hmm. and that big stretch right there. We, I mean, we, so it's like 30 miles, I guess that's, you know, technically part of that air force base. We did walk past, um, you know, we walked past where there were signs and stuff like that, but there was a lot of other people doing it too. And I'd say we walked at least like three miles in. So I have to give it some kind of, you know, there has to be some kind of grain of salt with it that you could potentially, there is a lot of people walking. We saw people walking way down there. Yeah. Um, definitely not over 10 miles or anything like that, though. Now, I'm sure they, once you get a little further, it would be like a, a, an issue, but we didn't see yeah. any active kind of things, except it was kind of weird out there. I mean, yeah, it was. There was, you could see a lot of apparatus in the distance. Antennas, yeah, it had a weird vibe, like and we had no idea. I didn't, you know, 
have, have no idea. I have no idea about the particulars of this uh, this case and that happening. Well, apparently they're coming from the other side. Apparently, she lives in Pensacola, or at least she yeah. did when Jack interviewed her. And, um, you know, we went to Pensacola as well. We went to Pensacola Beach, and that's where they have that uh, Futuro home, which they call the UFO yeah. home, which is actually owned by somebody who lives in Nashville, oddly enough. And we went to uh, Gulf Breeze as well. And... Uh, like we actually, I think that's up on our Patreon. I think people can see that the little trip that we took. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we got any footage on the beach. No, yeah, it was I really don't. strange. I may have, but I think I lost it. But yeah, it's just weird that we were on that exact uh, that exact beach that would then now uh, pop up mm-hmm. uh, with uh, exploring this material. It's yeah, it's interesting. I was like, yeah, you're right. That is the that is the base. Because, like, you know, Gulf Breeze was a uh, famous UFO sighting back in the 80s. And apparently people still see UFOs there. Although, I mean, there's there's a lot of air traffic in that area. Because not only did yeah. you have Elgin Air Force Base, but you've also got the Pensacola Navy base that's there. That's, a, that's, an air, that's also an air base. So there's a ton of air traffic in Gulf Breeze. Yeah. And I found a ton of uh, of of uh, job postings require, requiring uh, security clearances uh, for the for the area still, and uh, there's definitely you know some some weird stuff going on, um, and there has been a lot of uh, historically there's been a lot of sightings around the whole area and even there in Four uh, One Beach and Destin area, mm-hmm. uh, so. Yeah, it's kind of kind of wild, but um, man, I just wanted to kind of explore this mind control aspect of it. What what all in information warfare? What all, in your opinion, you think could be uh, could be gained or accomplished through the manipulation of this phenomenon or people saying that they've been witnessed or uh, to this phenomenon or been abducted? Uh, what what kind of utility do you think this could stuff like this could happen to you know running operations like this? Well, I think one reason would be that it's just used as a cover, right? Because if you just kind of the old adage that if you are saying that it's something else and it's a deflection away from what those people are actually doing, right? So I think that that's one reason, um, similar to what you know. Greg, he wrote the book about uh, Project Beta about Benowitz. You know, this kind of using Benowitz as this kind of deflection to say that there were UFOs or that he was communicating with space aliens or whatever it was while they were testing probably some kind of proto drone technology out in the middle of the desert. Um, so I think that there's that aspect of it. It could also possibly be tracking these ideas as a larger psychological warfare experiment. Yeah. And that you're just seeing where, where this goes and where it ends and where it ends up. So it might have two different reasons. Right. And then, um, cause definitely something like mind control. I mean, you know, that's something that's very ethically, um, <laughs> dubious. <laughs> yeah. So you really don't want, People, you want people to think that it's space aliens doing it and not 
not the military or not some kind right. of private company or whatever. Well, and this John Alexander guy we talked about, you know, he's been on record saying, oh, yeah, you know, after MK Ultra was blown, you know, we were all afraid of uh, talking about these things openly. But, yeah, after yeah. 9-11, it's great. You know, information warfare, psychological uh, operations and mind control is just, you know, totally, totally okay again. Yeah. And well, so, that's, you know, these... That's what's depicted in Men Who Stare at Goats, right? I mean, that's kind of this idea that, uh, even though that's kind of a movie that doesn't take it as seriously as it probably... The, the book, I think, is much more serious. But, you know, the idea that a lot of the these techniques that these guys are using, like the New Earth, New Earth Army and all these kind of people, and this is, you know, this is in the realm of uh, psychic ability, remote viewing and all that. But a lot of what they were doing eventually just filtered its way to some kind of being used in some kind of psychological warfare. And that's could right, what it could have, that's yeah. what it could have been in the beginning anyway. And and I know that uh, there's been reference, Jack Brewer's referenced the um, studies to um, you know, they're interested in the formation of belief. Obviously they're very interested in uh, radicalization uh, in the global war on terror. Uh, they're interested in the in tracking the spread uh, of memes in the old sense of the term, of course, meaning you know ideas basically, um, and uh, tracking the spread of disinfo. So I think the unfortunately the UFO community has been a great uh, petri dish for that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think all that is true, and just just knowing where that goes, and then. Like I said, you can also use that as a cover. Um, you know, I, I'm reminded of what Nick Redfern has written about the idea that when the Cold War started and some agents were trying to go into the communist bloc countries, really appealing towards some kind of religious, uh, some kind of religious thought, yeah. or using like or like making miracles happen that didn't happen are uh kind of like a this weird kind of project blue beam even though that doesn't exist but these ideas exist yeah. and the idea that you could you could make something happen to appeal to this religious sensibility of these people that are in this ostensibly atheist communist nation yeah so i think that there's just like that that is part of it and it's just to see, like, you know, how can we manipulate these belief systems? You know, I, I think it's, it's just a sustained psychological warfare just on American, just on Americans, whatever, people in the Western world. A yeah. sociological experiment, almost. It's almost like a stuff in Dune. Where they're like engineering and, and planting religions on these different planets for like exploitation in the future. I think it's really, it's freaky. Uh, something That's that I was, yeah. something I was thinking about was, you know, after uh, this big low information has been coming out forever, and this idea that uh, the one of the premise of a lot of these programs was to uh, collect all this data of observations of ufos so that uh the air force and scientists could could theorize how 
um, how these effects could be scientifically achieved uh, to kind of like basically help them with brainstorming how to make advanced weapons that would be able to do things like what is observed with these UFOs. Um, maybe there's something similar with uh, why they wanted to collect information on these contactees and abductees and people who were saying that they were receiving messages uh, with aliens or people who are already actively being manipulated um, by other people uh, to insert belief and, and basically, basically mind control. You know, maybe it'd be something similar in that you could collect all this data and and learn from it in in order to uh, help people brainstorm the development of mind control technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that right. that came to me as I was reviewing all this material that maybe that might have been, there might have been some utility in that. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I think that's entirely possible because you just want to know, you know, what makes these people tick? What is their, you know, what is their reason? Why did why do they believe this this particular belief system? Um, you know, how can we mimic that? Yeah, in someone, um, how can we make someone believe that they are asking to God? Yeah. How do we get yeah. messages in people's minds right. in the same ways that they would um, think that it was just uh, a spiritual entity or an alien or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a fine line with this because, especially I think when we're dealing with drugs or anything else that makes an altered state of consciousness. Yeah. This is where it get, where it gets weird because are we actually by, by them actually doing that Uh-oh, are yeah. then they actually contacting something, you know, is this yeah. actually, you know, what's going on? So, well, I've been studying a lot of the development of, uh, the later development of spiritualism and PB Randolph in particular, and how he, he really, uh, pioneered turning spiritualism into what he called clairvoyance. Right. And, um, him and other talented mediums who were able to basically, um, create phenomenon, uh, on site, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like if, if, uh, is it the same kind of thing when people are, um, you know, exploring this material? Are they actually just manifesting it? Is it that there are uh, people who are especially good at making this type of phenomenon manifest? Does it actually lie in, you know, does it begin with the actual person? Uh, so it, it's kind of the same. It feels like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, what's really going on in that respect? What's really what's what's really happening? It's, it's almost a chicken and the egg thing. Yeah. If you really want to think about it, because and this stuff it, is so much more interesting than. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like it's it's almost just like a big circle. Well, I mean, you know, we know that, you know, the government has. I keep saying that the military has had an interest in the in people with psychic abilities. We know that's true. You know, I just I mentioned the New Earth Army not that long ago and remote viewing and those types of people, people that are 
maybe have a direct line to something or they speak to some kind of entity or this kind of thing. You know, this, there's, there's so much when you get into the relationship between occultists and intelligence that you would just wonder whether or not some of that is those techniques have been used in some kind of mind control basis. Does that make sense? Yeah, since way back. Since way back. Right. Because, like, you know, we know Crowley, for instance, we know he was a agent for British intelligence. We know this, you know? Yeah. So and we know before official state intelligence apparatus, there were yeah. more informal um, secret society. Or not, not necessarily informal, but secret societies were the ones who carried secret messages and had all the techniques of cipher and um, keeping secrets and transferring information and yeah John D the original 007 yeah there you go right exactly I think uh, we'll be trying to share if it's not accessible right now I think we're going to put that um, make sure we try to get that little mini documentary we made uh, back up for the patrons, maybe even put on YouTube for everyone else, and then we're going to be sharing some of uh, the photos of us uh, hanging out on that on that very beach. <laughs> yeah, that might go into the graphic for the show. So, all right, well, guys, um, thank you for listening, and don't forget Strange Realities Conference. By this point, uh, we should be tickets will be twenty dollars. So that's still really good. That's like Really, if you think about it, we have 21 speakers, so that's less than a dollar a speaker. So please come hang out with us guys on September 25th, 26th, and 27th. And you heard a couple of them tonight, Greg Bishop, Aaron Gullius. And uh, next time, we're going to have Brent Rains on, who's also going to be with us. And uh, we're going to have a lot of people that are that have been on this show. So please join us and you can get that at strangerealitiesconference.com there is a link to eventbrite where you can purchase your tickets and uh, you can go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal if you want a preview of last year's recorded strange realities uh, conference that was uh, in the flesh though we're going behind the internet veil this year Um, we are going to be broadcasting that live as a stream in august as a uh, 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 promotional device for strange realities 2020 so you'll be able to check that out uh, but uh, then also if you don't feel comfortable doing a subscription feel free to leave a one-time donation at spearnormal.com we also appreciate um, all reviews especially on itunes that helps us get up there so anything anything helps and please just feel free to reach out to us on all social media uh, where you can easily locate us and uh, give us some feedback alright guys and don't forget the YouTube channel as well give us a subscription on there and uh, I think that's it uh, we'll be back next time on
help the show, please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.